In the name of the true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated, won't you? In the words of St. Francis of Assisi to Brother Dominic on the road to Umbria, Hi. It's a joy to be back with you again for my second Sunday as your supply priest. Looking forward to Father David being back next Sunday. It's a joy, however, to be here again in this pulpit, and I thank him for that privilege. If I were to ask you what you would number or consider to be the two most famous parables of Jesus, I wonder what you would say if we were to take a vote I think there would be at least two that would be the most uh, consistent. One would be the parable of the prodigal son, right? That's clearly got to be the top. But the parable that we heard today, the parable of the Good Samaritan, would be another. Those are the two parables that I think we most are familiar with, and that's the challenge, that's the issue, the problem of familiarity. Parables of Jesus. I like to think of parables of Jesus as those kinds of stories that really kind of had what I consider a spiritual hand grenade. Like a hot potato, there's something in the story that Jesus tells that is meant to shock you and scandalize you and wake you up to a whole different type of reality, to jerk you out of common sense reality and to show you another world. Amy Jill Levine suggests that religion is meant to comfort the afflicted, but also to afflict the comfortable. And she goes on to argue that we would do well to think of the parables of Jesus as doing this afflicting, Jesus himself, afflicting, not only comforting, but afflicting. So if we're to hear the parable and say, I really like that, that's really a good story, or maybe even worse, fail to take any kind of direction or challenge, well, then maybe we're not really listening very well at all. Familiarity. Well, I, I challenge you to think about this story in a different way. It certainly has challenged me. Every time I hear it, it challenges me. Jesus is afflicting the comfortable when I hear this story. Well, a lawyer a religious scholar of the day comes up to Jesus to test him. That's mistake number one. (laughs) And he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this was a pretty traditional question among rabbis and scholars of the day, and there was kind of a stock answer, a standard answer. So Jesus, being the logician and brilliant, brilliant mind that he is, doesn't answer the question. He just responds with a different question. Well, what does the law say? How do you read it? And he gives the standard orthodox right answer, the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, very good, do that, and you'll live. Now already, he's afflicting us. 
And certainly the religious scholars beginning to say, wait a minute, do this and you will live? Who can do it? Right? So wanting to justify himself, which is a game that we're all familiar with, if we're honest, he says, well, okay, who's my neighbor? I mean, there's a limit to this. Who's on the inside and the outside? What are the, you know, what's the scope? And again, Jesus, the brilliant, brilliant mind that he is, doesn't answer. He just throws a spiritual hand grenade, a story. And boy, what a story it is. So there's a man who is robbed, beaten, and left to die on the side of the road. And by chance, a priest, hello, a priest is walking by and he sees him and angles to the other side. And then a Levite in charge of the liturgy and worship of Israel sees this man on the side of the road and he angles by and goes on his way. In some respects, they probably were motivated by the Jewish ritual law, which said you can't touch anybody who's been wounded or is bleeding or you will become unclean. So they latched onto that boy and they just said, we're, we're doing the right thing here. And then Jesus, this is, the, this is the hand grenade, this is the spiritual whammy. Jesus is in a Samaritan who was walking down the road. And things change immediately. Jesus turns the question upside down. This Samaritan, we're told, was immediately upon seeing this man moved. He was inwardly exploding with compassion. He was moved to mercy and to pity when he saw the condition of this man. Something was coming out of him that was already in his body, in his spirit, in his soul. It was called compassion. It came out of him at great care, at great empathy, at great cost. He was moved with compassion. And suddenly, what Jesus is telling us is The neighbor isn't simply the one that is in need that we see with our eyes. But the neighbor is rather the one who provides for our need, the one who takes care of us. You see how Jesus turns it upside down? You don't ask who is my neighbor. Rather, the call of the dream of God, the reign of God, the kingdom of God, like I was speaking about last week, the call is to become a neighbor for whom compassion is simply the way things are. Martin Luther King put it this way, and I think this is really, really interpretive and helpful. He says, I'm going to tell you what my imagination tells me. It's possible these men were afraid, their fear being that the man was only faking being injured, and that if they stopped to help him, brigands would jump out and beat and rob them. And so the question that the priest had and the Levite had might be this, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by, and he reversed the question, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? 
See, that's what distinguished the Samaritan. It wasn't what he did, it was who he was. The kind of person for whom the great commandment and the second commandment just naturally flowed. The other guys didn't see that. They saw the wounded person and that was enough for them. So here's the main point. We cannot just do this and live. You can't obey the law by trying to keep the law. Jesus says, no, rather aim at becoming a certain kind of person for whom compassion is just part of who you are. I love the line from Bob Dylan's song. Some of us are old enough to remember Bob Dylan. He said, and how many times must a man turn his head pretending he just doesn't see? See, our failure is evidence of our need for the renovation of the inside out, the renovation of our heart. That's what our aim needs to be, to become the kind of person from whom the deeds of the law naturally flow. And that is about becoming a neighbor, not perfectly, but becoming. Let me tell you a story. When I was rector of All Saints, it was a joy for us to be involved in a wonderful ministry called El Hogar de Amor de Esperanza, the home of hope and love in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. And Nancy and I were privileged to be on a team. And actually, one member of the team is here. Terry is here, a member of your congregation, came over. And we made our way to Tegucigalpa. And, you know, the, the cognitive dissonance of going to the third world is significant enough. But then you see the beautiful compassion and mercy of the Episcopal Church in that diocese bringing children who are abandoned in the streets into a place of safety and comfort, meeting their needs, caring for them, giving them an education, teaching them how to live and to have esteem and to have dignity. It's a remarkable ministry. But anyway, there was a little boy who taught me that I wasn't the good neighbor coming down there. I was the one who was in need. His name was Ernesto, a little eight-year-old boy, Ernesto, Ernesto. I still remember him. And almost every time I say his name, I want to break down and weep. He was such a beautiful little boy. And he, he just kind of befriended me, came alongside me, showed me great joy. He played with me. He brought out my inner child, Ernesto was a good Samaritan to me. And I realized once again that compassion and love and goodness run from the heart. Run from the heart. That's what we need to be concerned about. My final point is this. Jesus really did throw a whammy when he said it was a Samaritan. He's the hero of the story. You see, the Samaritans hated the Jews and the Jews hated the Samaritans. They were enemies of one another. In fact, the Jews didn't consider the Samaritans to be authentic Jews. They were half-breeds. They were aliens. They were really not part of us. But Jesus says, look, the one who's the hero here is the Samaritan. He turns to the lawyer and, and says, listen, who do you think acted as neighbor to the man that was wounded? And what's interesting to me is that the scholar, the religious lawyer, couldn't even take the name Samaritan on his lips. 
the one whose name I can't even say, I guess the one who showed mercy. There's racism there, profound hatred and alienation. But the dream of God, the reign and kingdom of God, is about love. So where do we begin? The word neighbor comes out of an old English word. And the word is, your neighbor is the boor who is nigh thee. Isn't that great? The boor who is nigh thee. But that's really what it means. The one who is most intimately engaged in your life is your first neighbor. Not you. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then the next may be your spouse, your child, your colleague, your friend, and then ever-widening circles so that we have the ability to see those in need with eyes of compassion. So you see how Jesus, these parables, they are really tricky. And they comfort us, but they also afflict us in a positive way. But what a joy to be invited into the kingdom of God be a part of it and to be able to know that if we pay attention to the love that God has for us, we will become good neighbors running from the heart like little Ernesto. Amen.